Wrestling fans, and welcome to Shut Up and Wrestle, a wrestling history podcast about good conversations and great stories. I am your host, Brian R. Solomon, and welcome to episode 95. Now, I'm going to be changing something up here from what I had originally advertised. Yes, David LaGreca is going to be on the way as a guest. We already have the conversation recorded. However, it's not this week. I am bumping it for a very good reason. I'm going to be having a two-part episode this week and next week, starting today, with Mike Sempervivi talking about the Wrestling Observer Newsletter Hall of Fame, which the new inductees have just been announced. The reason I'm doing that is I was originally going to save the episode, save the two-parter, because Dave usually does not announce the Hall of Famers until December. So I thought I had some time, but he switched it up on me, and he announced them a little bit early. They've already been announced. So um, these episodes might be slightly out of date already because when I was talking to Mike, we were talking about our picks and who might go in and who deserves to go in. And so a couple of the people we mentioned have now gone in. But it's still, I find, a very valuable and fascinating conversation that I wanted to share. I'm just bumping it up a little earlier than I had originally intended to share it to make it as relevant as possible with the new Hall of Famers now very recently announced. So this week, episode 95 will be part one. Next week, episode 96 will be part two. And then Dave LaGreca will be episode 97 in two weeks. Also want to say happy Thanksgiving to everyone. Of course, this is the Thanksgiving week edition of Shut Up and Wrestle. And in line with that, I want to mention that on this very day, the day that this is posting, the day before Thanksgiving, the new issue of Pro Wrestling Illustrated is going to be available digitally at pwi-online.com. I had previously indicated this was the February issue. It's actually, believe it or not, the March 2024 issue of Pro Wrestling Illustrated. Since we publish nine times a year and not 12, there are some months that we skip over. So believe it or not, I know it's a head scratcher for those of you who did not work in the magazine industry, but the March 2024 issue does go on sale today digitally. The print version will go on sale by the end of the month. A few things from myself in there. The cover story with Tony Storm, my hot seat interview with timeless Tony Storm. This was so much fun. I hope you check it out. But for my old school wrestling listeners, what you're really going to love is my column, The Way It Was, which is a look back at the Von Erich family in honor of the new movie, The Iron Claw, which is coming out next month. So please do check that out. I've also got my column, The Lockdown, on the dramatic rise of L.A. Knight. That is the March 2024 issue of Pro Wrestling Illustrated on sale as of today. November 22nd, as this posts, 
at pwi-online.com. Also want to give you a quick update on my next book, Irresistible Force, The Life and Times of Gorilla Monsoon. Yes, I have begun to write the book and currently completed. I have completed the introduction to the book in which I share some of my personal connections to Gorilla from working at WWE and kind of just missing him. I started there uh, with the company right after he had passed away. So talking about, you know, my connection and how I did almost get to meet him and how that motivated me to want to write this book and how I did get to meet Bobby the Brain Heenan and talk to him about his relationship with Gorilla and all the things that led up to me wanting to eventually one day write a book about Gorilla Monsoon. I also wrote the first chapter of the book, chapter one, which to give you a sneak peek is sort of going to be a begin at the ending kind of a thing where it starts off setting the scene at WrestleMania 15 for Gorilla Monsoon's last public appearance at the first Union Center in Philadelphia for WrestleMania. That is how it will begin. And then I will jump into chapter two, which will start with a look at his very early family history and how his family came to this country, not from Manchuria, sorry, folks, but from Italy. And we'll get into the details on that. I'll keep you updated on the writing process of Irresistible Force. But right now, I want to transition to part one of my conversation with Mike Sempervivi. So just to let you guys know who may not be aware, who maybe haven't seen it yet, there have been seven new inductees to the Wrestling Observer Newsletter Hall of Fame as of last week. They are Anthony Oraca and Miguel Perez, who certainly were the most deserving, I think, of all the inductees this year, probably the hottest top-drawing tag team of all time. Also inducted were Beauty Pair, Sergeant Slaughter, who I was very gratified to see going in because I voted for him every single year that I've had a ballot. So this one's long overdue as far as I'm concerned. Also, the tag team of Jack and Jerry Briscoe has been inducted as a team, as well as Tomohiro Ishii, Blue Panther, and George Kidd. Those are your Hall of Fame inductees for this year. And the people that I voted for, Raka and Perez and Sergeant Slaughter, were the only two acts that got in this year that I voted for on my ballot. But I will continue to champion in the future people like Wild Bull Curry, the Junkyard Dog, June Byers, the British Bulldogs, on and on. People that I believe should be in there, Morris Siegel, Bobby Davis, the Grand Wizard, and certainly a lot of others. So at the time that we recorded this, at the beginning of November, we did not know who the new inductees were going to be. So keep that in mind as you listen. It's still a very enlightening conversation on the methods of voting, who goes in, who deserves to go in. And really, I will always love the opportunity to debate the Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame. So here we go with part one of my conversation with Mike Sempervivi. Okay, so it's my pleasure this week on Shut Up and Wrestle to welcome back to the podcast a trusted and knowledgeable colleague of mine, whom I always enjoy talking to. He is, a lot of you may know him from Wrestling Observer Radio. You, of course, may know him. You should know him from the wrestling news as the voice of the wrestling news and a whole lot more than that. I had him on here a while back, and today we're going to be talking specifically 
about the Wrestling Observer Newsletter Hall of Fame ballot, of which we are both voters. I'm talking about the one and only Mike Sempervivi. Mike, thank you for coming back to Shut Up and Wrestle. Thank you for inviting me back on. I guess I, I didn't do too bad of a job last time around. Well, the funny thing is, even the last time around, we spent a lot of the time talking about the Wrestling Observer <laughs> Hall of Fame. So I thought, like, what I was thinking was, when the ballot came out this year, and I'm doing the voting, my own voting, and I know, you know, there's been, and we could talk about it, but there's been some changes made to how the voting will be done, and and also knowing your closeness to it, because you work with Dave, and I thought, well, I, I'd love to have somebody here to talk about this this year, and I mean, you're the guy. It's, you know, it was a it was a no brainer. It was the perfect opportunity to bring you back. You're right because I came out of retirement this year. I said <laughs> I was never going to go on a podcast again and talking about the Observer Hall of Fame. It just gets to be so much poo flinging and and all that sort of stuff. But the guys over at Voices of Wrestling dragged me back out to talk about the non wrestler category on their Patreon podcast and i really enjoyed it that's a great category i do love talking about that one because for all of the slings and arrows that get thrown out there and we'll talk about some surely in the in the course of this conversation when it comes to that category i feel as though it's a more fun conversation and i think because it's a lot of them are announcers or they're promoters or some of the bile that gets built up say again the young bucks are, are going to be a controversial choice if they're in roman reigns is another one that gets a lot of you know back and forth over it you don't get that as much in that category and for me it's always a lot more fun to talk about but they kind of crack the seal on that i'm back in in, in in effect on this thing there's no matter what i love the hall of fame just because it brings history back to the forefront again for at least a little while and we get to talk and debate about really some fascinating names that that are on these lists yeah, and I know I like how at this time of year you'll get people that will um that will champion the people that they think should go in and they'll try to sway people. And I, I love that. People that because I've learned things from that process too. And then I'll Absolutely. see, okay, this person I trust and know is really going on and on about this guy. I'm gonna try to learn more about this guy and see why that is. And that's actually caused me. Uh, a few times to to put people on my ballot that I may not have before because I learned more about them. Like a good example this year for me on the Mexican side was Huracan Ramirez, who, you know, I I saw, like I said, people talking about how this was a gross oversight, like somebody from the the, the distant past that needed that should have gone in long ago. And I, I started learning and trying to find out why that was. And then I started seeing, OK, yes, this is I'm going to put this person in in the Mexican category for sure. Yeah. And that's, you know, I don't vote in the Mexican category just because I don't feel as though I have the knowledge to do so, even though I look at some names like a Blue Panther or Hermanos Dinamita and say, okay, well, well, maybe that's where my focus would probably go first. But just to go back and then look at the career of Dory Dixon, you know, just because he's on the ballot, it gives you a chance to go back and look at that. How many people know who Mike Marino is? 
if it wasn't for us talking about the Hall of Fame and everybody talking about the Hall of Fame and the influence on New Zealand and Australia, and he keeps names like Killer Carl Cox or Dominic DiNucci or Spirios Arion, who had great success in other places, you know, people see the names, they go back, start doing the research on that specific part of what they did, but then it opens them up to maybe some other things that they've done in their careers. Bobby Bruns, I think, is a good example of that, with a lot of people thinking last year he was a no-brainer to go in. He doesn't go in, but now people look at what he did as far as training Rick Adozen and the what he was able to do, and it opens up. You know, maybe they find out, well, wow, I didn't know he was so trusted by Sam Mushnick in St. Louis to book, or I didn't know about his promoting exploits in different parts of the country. So it just gives everybody an opportunity, if they so choose, to really kind of pour themselves into professional wrestling and its history and how it got from there to where we are now. And it's very interesting, too, because this is, we're on a interesting point on in the Hall of Fame where we're seeing names like Becky Lynch and Roman Reigns and the Young Bucks. And this is truly a different generation than when we talk about the Junkyard Dogs or the Briscoe Brothers or the Cowboy Bob Ellis's people like that. The business has completely changed. How we go about almost every part of the business has completely changed from how you get over to what are you worth as a draw and all that sort of stuff. So we're, this is truly an interesting time. Yeah. And, um, and I want to talk about how, how the voting's changed too, but a couple of things first, and there are people like some of the ones you mentioned where um, I'll, I'll put them on the ballot in their category, but it may even be for reasons that go beyond that category. Like, Spear, all right, so Dominic Danucci and Spiros Arion, two great examples. Now, they're in the European – they're basically in the category which is everywhere except North America and Japan. Like that is – there's that category where it's Europe, New Zealand, Australia, and everywhere else. And I put them in there, but – maybe I shouldn't do this, but I'm putting them in there for more than just that reason. I'm glad they're still on there, and I think they should have already been in – I, I recognize the fact that I know why they're there because especially Danucci, like his, his the greatest success of his career was probably in Australia. But there's still a lot of other reasons for me where I think those guys should go in. And I, I, I vote for them every year. Those two specifically. Ole Anderson is that person for me, um, even though. We'll see what happens. I have not finalized my voting um, as of the time of this recording, and I, I have to hurry up because just to break all evergreen possibilities, uh, it's Monday, November 6th, and this ballot is due by midnight Pacific time, I believe, on the 8th. But Ole Anderson is a good example of that because Ole Anderson, on his own, in the historical performers category as a singles wrestler... Yes, he had Dusty Rhodes. Yes, he had some notable singles feuds. But the reality is you wouldn't be voting him in. You can't vote him in as a singles. You can vote him in in the non-wrestler category as a booker. You can vote him in alongside Gene Anderson, which it's still very unfortunate that that didn't happen. And I hope that at some point they end up coming back on the ballot or at least get fiated in. That That would be nice. But I don't, I'm not going to sit here and wait for it, but Ole Anderson as a singles, you would have to probably put your vote towards a, somebody else in that category. 
that's unfortunate. But then again, if you want to look at it the way you are, which is include all of those things that made him Ole Anderson, well, he certainly has a shot to go in then if you do take in that other stuff. And it's just a philosophy on how you are as a voter. I mean, there's a philosophy on big hall, small hall. We see it with the baseball hall of fame. You know, does Mike Messina belong in? Did a Fred McGriff belong in? You know, it depends on, do you like a very small hall or do you kind of lean towards a bigger hall? And I think, I think with all the essentials in to me, there's a, cause Dave is big on the baseball hall of fame thing and Houston Mitchell and, and the roots of the thing. And, and I, and I accept that, but we're also now, I think at the point where it has also moved towards a, essentially the rock and roll hall of fame. This is what Carl Stern will bring up, you know, every chance he gets now, because so much of this is subjective. And when we're going to be right. talking about a lot of things, there aren't, we have hard numbers for a lot of people as time moves on, you know, the hard numbers we have, some of it's subjective when it comes to ratings in certain, you know, so it's, it's interesting. It's interesting to see what people take and every individual voter has got to take their own interests into account when doing this, but still have enough respect for the overall process. Well, I'm, I've heard that rock and roll hall of fame comparison come up a few different times from different people. And I think, you know, I, I lean more towards that direction, I have to say. And it's because, you know, for example, like like I've said on here a few times and I've even said to you, one of my pet projects every year is Sergeant Slaughter. Like, I will not stop. I will vote for Sergeant Slaughter every year. And, God, you know, he's going to drop off the ballot this year, actually, if he doesn't get over 50 percent or whatever it is. Not if I have anything to do with it. But and he, I do. But he is the great <laughs> example, though, of you know, of what I'm talking about, you look at him and you go, okay, yes, even I'm going to say that the period where he really earned it is like 80 to 84, maybe 85, if we're being generous. That's really, if that part of his career didn't exist, I don't think we're talking about it or voting for him. Of course not. But um, just the the prominence of him as an act, his level of cultural significance, his transcend, his name and likeness just transcending the business and, and the amount and how incredibly popular he was in that narrow few years, to my mind, uh, puts him in the Hall of Fame. And I think that's more a rock and roll way of looking at it than a sports way of looking at it. Well, Sting opened that door. Yeah. You know, for a lot of people, because Dave was always hard against Sting, and he wasn't the only one. I'm using him just because he has the outlet where a lot of people heard about it. But, you know, did Sting draw in, you know, Lex Luger, same way, you know, in the way that Ric Flair did it? No, <laughs> no, he did not. Is he an iconic figure? Yes. Is this, look, even Kurt Warner, you know, Joe Namath, they have better stories than they do stats to be in the Hall of Fame. They're in the Hall of Fame. And part of that is, again, when it comes to wrestling, it's a the spectacle part of it. You know, and this is where Junkyard Dog and Sergeant Slaughter, this is where Iron Sheik would have a case. This is where, you know, those guys, they tran the ones that transcend pro wrestling, and I think, Sergeant Slaughter, more than almost anybody on that list, really did that in the United States. Absolutely did that. And you can't discount the G.I. Joe stuff. 
You know, yes, did Vern know how to use him? Did things work out well when he went to the AWA? No. But look at what also was going on during that time. If he came around now, I mean, people would be looking at, you know, those types of promotional deals at that level to be, you know, uh, absolutely amazing. And I think that's what actually helps his cause as things roll around where Ole Anderson's probably going to drop off, but Sergeant Slaughter is probably always going to remain pretty strong until he actually makes it in. 1980 to 84 into 85, that's a long time. I know it's not forever, but it's like five, six solid years. Same thing when it comes to the Junkyard Dog from like 79 into 84 in Mid-South. You know, and you look at dollar for dollar what he was worth there. You look at culturally what he was worth there, and he absolutely has a case. And I believe that was Sergeant Slaughter. One of the things that doesn't get talked about with that Slaughter, Carnoodle, Steamboat, and Youngblood run is the fact that Slaughter basically kind of booked it. They all kind of just booked it and put it together. And Dory Funk Jr., you know, kind of checked off on it. But a lot of that was them. You know, I would give Slaughter 84. I wouldn't cut him off because you, you got to have the Iron Sheik feud in there. Oh, God, yes. You know, you, you have to have that. And that, I mean, that was money. And he was as popular, if not more popular, in many places than Hulk Hogan in his time when he was there. I was going to say that, definitely. And yeah, that you, feud was the hottest. That was the hottest angle in the company while Hulk Hogan was like the newly minted world champion. A lot of people, you know, may not realize that. People don't realize how slippery of a slope they were on in 84 and how much everything broke right for them going into 85 and going into WrestleMania and the success of that, which really galvanized them. But still, I mean, it was it was sketchy times. The In fact, when, uh, I don't want to I just got a quick thought. I'll, I'll let you go on. But if 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 Sarge hadn't had that falling out with Vince, which I think was mainly over the G.I. Joe stuff, if he had stuck around and I know Vince would wanted him to stuck or stick around. I mean, again, I don't even think this would be a debate. I think he would have went on as one of the WWF's top, enormously popular acts. I'll even go so far as to say that he probably would have gotten a babyface world title run to break up the Hogan uh, monotony a little bit. Uh, but and 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 I think that hurt him. The fact that like it's like he got cut off right when he was at his hottest, and then it, he never got back to that level again. I mean, you know, you, you can't really argue things that didn't happen, but, you know, him sticking around probably changes the Intercontinental title picture. Certainly. Because... Or, or even the Savage situation, because he might have wound up being the person that was chosen yeah. to keep to keep the belt warm for Hulk Hogan, essentially, you know. Well, yeah, and, and it would have broken up the rain more. I mean, we may have never gotten Steamboat in that mix because with Santana, they were pushing him heavily when you watch the Olympic Auditorium or you watch the L.A. airings when Vince got the KHJ deal. Uh, I think that's the sister station of WOR out there. You know, Tito Santana's name was in the opening and, and they were obviously, you know, his title run. That was going to happen, but like Greg Valentine and, and the process that ends up happening after that make it changed with Sergeant Slaughter. You could argue he wouldn't need a belt at that time, and he would have sold so much merchandise for WWF, it wouldn't have been funny. But, you know, again, we can take and look at what he did in the Carolinas as U.S. champion, in the feuds that he had with Wahoo McDaniel, the feuds that he had with Ricky Steamboat and Jay Youngblood that not only drew in Charlotte and was one of the only things that was happening in that territory at the time, but it was also doing 18,000 people in Toronto, 
best tag team matches people had ever seen in that time. People walking out saying that these are the greatest things we've ever seen to that time. To me, he's in. And then you include, again, working the WWF when he went up there and wrestled Backlund and being in the mix with the Wiz as his manager and all that stuff. So I... Sergeant Slaughter for me really is a hard yes. I understand why some people would not vote him, but to me, man, when you include the fame, and again, that's where, again, the transcending of wrestling to me matters, you know, and I think it wipes out. And I think, too, history has been relatively good to him because, yeah, if you were to do this and, and vote this after 1992, you probably wouldn't have thought very good of him, you know, after right. the, the whole. But again, Sometimes the whole, we see this now for sure, the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. And yes. you can only do what's being asked of you. And if you look at sacrificing yourself for, for pro wrestling, he did that. He he did that for the business. Now, you could say he shouldn't have done that and it shouldn't have been put in that position, but he's the one who turned his back on America. He's the one who put a bunch of his, you know, his entire career in in a threat because of doing what he did you know, winning the title and turning his back on America and all that sort of stuff. You know, it was the whole gimmick. The whole thing could have ended there, and we see where he's at today. So I I don't know. I don't hold that portion against him as much as I think a lot of people do. Yeah, and then there's also, don't forget, too, that when he turned back face again after that, you know, I want my country back, that whole thing, he really was, he was a lower mid-carder. I mean, I wouldn't even call him an upper mid-carder. Like, he was... You know, like a feel-good mid-card act tag team with Hacksaw Jim Duggan, who by that point was like one one shade above a jobber. Like, essentially, he would be the guy that would lose to the new star coming in and that kind of thing. And if that's all you knew, for sure, I could I could understand that. If all you knew is just the heel world champion and then he just becomes this mid-carder, feel-good, kind of like over-the-hill babyface, I could see that. But you got to look at the whole picture. Like the, I know that the knock on Slaughter is the the limited frame of time, and I think the knock on JYD, who I also always vote for, is the regional nature of it. Like I know a lot of people that won't vote for him or who don't see him worthy. That's what they say. Okay, yes, he was the hottest star in the business for a short period of time. He was, you know, box office gold, but it was only in this part of the country and the other parts of the country, not as much. And while I debate that, even saying that I would venture to say, and again, this informs my voting, even if that's true, I still don't think it disqualifies somebody from going in. I think an intent or should anyway, I think an intensely successful and popular and over act that's, regional but significantly regional like not like you know a couple of towns somewhere in iowa but like <laughs> a regional an important regional territory i think that should be enough like that's Absolutely. why i think that um bob armstrong should go in for that reason you know same thing there's a lot of people like that and jerry lawler's the extreme example of that because he's a no-brainer for the one city that he was in but i remember talking to older wrestlers and, you know, sure, some of them may have had <laughs> less than stellar careers working for Jarrett and Lawler. But, you know, it, people would throw those. They used to throw those slings and arrows at Lawler that, you know, just big fish, small pond. Look what happened when he went to Atlanta. Look what happened when he had access to national TV, to which, you know, then you could, again, in this era, throw to, well, 
when the Memphis tapes were out there, what were the most commonly traded tapes? You know, some of them were, were Memphis. It was people that didn't have WTBS and Memphis. And, and, you know, that was one of the big things because of the wildness that was going on there, because there was always something from week to week on that television show. You know, again, it was the forerunner in a lot of ways for what the WWE is today are those Memphis weekly TV shows. And you look at what he did there. And if you're the biggest star there, if you never have to leave, why should that be held against you? You know, to me, that's insane. And Bob Armstrong, he's always one of those last guys on my list, and I don't think I've ever voted for him, but it's not because I wouldn't vote for Bob Armstrong. I just feel stronger about some other people that are on the ballot, but he is, a again, a great example of that. Yeah, and I think that happens with me, too, where they'll be, because I always make my ballot public after I vote, and then you know, so people sometimes will go, well, what about this guy? And what about this guy? And I can't deny that they're worthy. But one of the issues is that there's a real log jam. And even Dave talks about this and addresses it because people always act like people always act like it's Dave personally putting people in every year. And I know he did that the first time when it first started, as he should. But this thing is voted on, you know, and so there have been times where even he has expressed some befuddlement, frustration yeah. over who gets voted in. But it's like, that's your system. And I know he changed a lot of it this year to try to help ease the logjam. Because here's the thing. I don't know as much about this, but are there similar issues in, say, the Baseball Hall of Fame? I don't think so. I feel like everybody, let's just say everybody who's really historical um in the way that we look at it with the observer one that deserves to be in in baseball i would venture to say is in right i mean yeah i i would say that and uh, i think it's the same with boxing too what i know about the boxing hall of fame um every now, hall of fame they, yeah they, and every now and then a name will come up where you know like and it's this is personal but my grandfather's cousin Lou Salika he was a prominent bantamweight world champion in the 30s he's he was an olympic medalist He's not in. The guy he beat for the title is in. The guy he lost the title to is in. He's not in. And there's virtually no footage of him because this is the 30s and early 40s. And the sports writers who knew him and wrote about him and pushed for him, they're all dead. Yeah. So it's one of those things where it's really tricky and hard. But I don't think in boxing it's anywhere near the issue as what we see like with the Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame. So that's when you got to look at it and say, I got to change it up a little bit, the way that people get voted in. Absolutely. And I, I've always been, look, you know, if we're, we're going off the baseball method, I believe there should be a Ford C. Frick Award. There should be a, and it doesn't have to be just a broadcast or just a play-by-play -play guy who gets in every year, but that's when, you know, you, to me, have a veterans committee, have a group focused on people so they can you know the bob coddles dave browns you know guys like that recognizing people that should be in that may not necessarily be voted and to me there's another way to get those people and even if it's a small amount of people voting for them and studying them i i think it's probably time for that i think you know when you put a reggie parks or a jim johnson on the ballot that's a good thing in that belts matter aesthetics matter music matters uh, a lot of that stuff matters but should that you know it's tough you know does that person deserve a a, a vote over a 
Bobby Bruns, you know what I mean? Like to me, there's probably it's time to maybe separate things a little more, not to take it into minutia, but I, it's going to be tough for a Jim Melby or a Norm Kitzer or a Stanley Weston, even a George Napolitano. Everybody knows Bill Apper. That's why he's in. Like it's, it's impossible to really compare them. It's not, it, it's apples and oranges in a lot of ways. Yeah. It's fruit, but it's two completely separate ones. And we should probably, we, you know, Dave, somebody should probably start the process of let's look, Dave, we know you're never going to get voted in your own hall of fame because you're never going to put yourself on the ballot. But like every time something happens, somebody passes, whether it's the biggest name or the smallest name, the first one who's got something out is Greg Oliver and Slam. Why? Because they put in all the work over the years. Greg Oliver, to me, is a Hall of Famer. There are other people in that vein who I believe are Hall of Famers, not necessarily in how we have been voting him into the professional wrestling to the Wrestling Observer Newsletter Hall of Fame, but they deserve recognition I think, and should be in and should be at least considered to be in. So I think there's got to be, I think, something for the coverage of wrestling and maybe, again, where it's, they're not even maybe full Hall of Fame members, but they are recognized as for what they did to further help enhance the business. You know, if Al gets to me, is you know, is, is a Hall of Famer. He's figuring out new ways to compute stats so people as we go into the future and he's going around to all of these places and uncovering new history fixing results that we thought were correct because you know and, and and just doing all that work to me at some point those people are going to deserve a place you know the wade kellers the dave Meltzers, the the napolitanos there's a lot of people that i think again Deserve Hall of Fame recognition that don't necessarily, that one, wouldn't get the votes for Hall of Fame, but also probably shouldn't be put in at the same level of a Luthez or a Ric Flair or somebody like that. They need to be recognized, but not necessarily voted in. So it sounds like a little of what you're calling for, which would make sense, is taking the non-wrestler category and like kind of divert making it more into more specific subcategories instead of saying here's the category for everybody involved in wrestling who wasn't a wrestler we can maybe say we're going to have a writer's category or historian's category maybe we'll have a category for you know promoters or managers or things and that might help some people get in who need to because you know for my non-wrestling category I'm just like another one. How in the world is Ernie Roth, the Grand Wizard, not in? Like how 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 is that? How is Roy Welch not in? How is um, Bobby Davis? You know, um, and Morris Siegel, who people have said like if again it's recency bias. If Paul Bosch is in, which he absolutely should be, then Morris Siegel totally should. Morris Siegel was a much more important and prominent promoter than Paul Bosch was. It just so happens that. He died, you know, 60 years ago. Yeah. So it's tougher. And that's another one where he, Dave put Rock and Perez on there. And I think Bobby Davis, another example of like, I'm putting them on here. They're they're gonna get voted in. They didn't get voted in. Right. He was I remember I remember he was surprised by it. He wrote it in the observer, like he saw them. 
I don't know if he said it about Bobby, but probably, but definitely about Rocca Perez. He was like, I thought they'd be first ballot. This is wild to me. And for a lot of people listening, for people like us, we were, you know, some of us were shocked. Other people, it was a shrug of, this is where we're at. And if you ask modern day football and baseball players about people 30 years ago, they have no idea. These kids That's have scary. Kids. They're kids. I, but you know what? Every generation is like you that. that. Yeah. Every generation's been like that. You have the ones that are really into the history, into the position they play, into this or that. And then some are just, man, I'm good at this. I like this. This is what I play. I'm good at it. And that's it. You but know, don't you, but don't you think that's gotten worse over the years? The kind of tendency to dismiss or not have an interest in, you know, I see it sometimes even in, in entertainment. Like I'll give you an example when you had all the big, you know, like the new wave, the new generation or tour directors like Spielberg and Scorsese and Coppola and all those guys were changing Hollywood. Those guys, though, could quote chapter and verse about movies of the 20s, 30s, 40s. And I feel like now when I talk to people who are young filmmakers who are really good at what they do and into it and even established people, they don't really like movies started in 1980 for these people. And I yeah. feel like maybe it's because there's a lot more history to have to learn than it, than there was 50 years ago, but there seems to be, we see it in, we certainly see it in hip hop. Like my jaw hits the floor when I see young rappers who are just like making fun of people like yeah. Tupac and just making fun of them outright. Like, you know, the level of just, just you know, because the old, like Melly Mel is a great example of an old guy that will rip anything new that comes along. And he's one of the people that people will point to and go, see these old heads, you know, they just run their mouth. Now, there's always going to be extremes on both sides, but you should know, to me, you should have a connection with the past. You should, If you take Spike Lee and Quentin Tarantino and Martin Scorsese and throw them in a room, they all can talk about movies from the 30s and 40s and things that affected them and things that they took and put in their shows and things that they took and updated because they had that thought from watching X movie or Y movie. So... Yeah, to me, I don't know why you would vote or be a voter in the Wrestling Observer Newsletter Hall of Fame and not have history and not, you know, because, again, I don't think Dave is handing out these votes. People are lobbying and going, you know, for me, you know, I would write and do a lot of detailed history stuff at the time, you know, when I was wondering, okay, how can I get a Hall of Fame vote? Well, let me, you know, show off my historical acumen and, and show that I'm actually putting real effort and work into this and taking it seriously. And I ended up getting a vote, you know, help probably working there be associated with Brian, but you know, I believe before Dave came on, I started to have a hall of fame vote. So, you know, to me, it, it I, it's a no brainer. I don't understand why you wouldn't go back and put in the work and go, you know, especially if you're a modern wrestler and go, well, you know, the, Tully and Arn are on there because they're still an influence today. But who influenced Tully and Arn? Who, to me, all of this stuff is just really incredibly important and fascinating. Whereas for a lot of people, I guess that it's not. But why do you have a Hall of Fame vote then? Right. You know, I can understand not voting on a category. Again, I won't vote on Mexico or the European category, the rest of the world category, but at least I have some knowledge of the people that are in it. And I certainly have knowledge of the people that I'm voting on in, in the other categories that I do vote on. 
That's another you thing. Know, exactly, culturally, and, and time has moved on, and how people take in information, how they retain it. Look, we've lamented this. People don't read. Not like they used to. You know, again, right. there are, are a lot of just things of how people take information in and how it gets disseminated that, you know, it's tough. It, 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 it makes it tougher. And again, for a lot of the older candidates and a lot of the people that are pushing for that who base everything off of, look, your kid's not going to probably learn cursive at this point. But what they can <laughs> do is program a computer. So it's like, you know, you have to find the middle ground here to try to make it interesting for newer voters and for people that are coming on and have passion to go, hey, you know, don't just look at Becky Lynch over here. Look at Stanley Weston or Roy Welch or some of these other people and understand why they're important. That's also why I think that, you know, look, I've told many people this. I'm not not everybody is going to have the historical curiosity and it's not like, you know, I, I insist that everybody has to learn everything about the history of, of, you know, this, I get it. Some people just, you know, they, they excel and they want it. They do what they do in the business and they don't have the interest in history, but then don't vote on it. You know what exactly. I mean? Like yes. that's, that's why I think that, I always push for the idea that it should be more like the way the Motion Picture Academy does it, where like, you know who gets to vote for best director? Directors. Directors. Yeah. That's how they do it. It's like everybody in that's an Academy member, you have the ability to nominate people. But when it comes to the final nominees, the only people that could vote are the people that are specialists in that category. So best actor is voted on strictly by actors. And I don't know if that may be actors and actresses. I don't know how that works, but, but, and there's some categories where like everybody gets to vote for best picture and everybody gets to, and actually maybe the acting categories, I think everybody, but there's certain specialized categories. You can't vote for best sound design if that's not your field. So I feel like it's hard to do in wrestling. And I know it would piss a lot of people off, but I really do feel like uh, the only people that should be voting on the historical category should be people who are proven to be historians, writers, uh, people who cover it. Look, if you're actively in the business, fine, but there has to be a way to have demonstrated that you have the historical acumen and knowledge. If you're somebody that I know sometimes it's hard, the metrics, like how do you prove that? But you can't just let everybody vote on it because then none of those guys are going to get in every, and, and you know, 99% of current wrestlers, are going to vote for the Young Bucks before they're going to vote for Rocca and Perez. That's a well, problem. The historical, that is more than anything, I think, a category that needs to be, look, you can let people vote, but there needs to be, it doesn't have to be Mike Sempervivi and Brian Solomon. It wouldn't be. But if you want to take Matt Farmer, Steve Yohe, Greg Oliver, Scott right. Teal, you start naming names of you come up with an odd amount, 11, 13, whatever it's going to be. And you say, look, again, because Davis put people in by just putting them in because somebody has made the case for them. To me, you don't have to disclose the names, you know, but take 13 or 15 people that are really dead serious on this stuff. Pat LaProd, you know, people like that, that have great across knowledge and it shouldn't be left up to the voters on Roy Welch or Morris Siegel or Bobby Davis right. or Rock and Perez because what the what the balloting proved last year was there's a chasm, there's a big divide in 
how things are looked at and how history is taken in. And again, it goes across a lot of different things. You know, I love history. I'm interested in history, world history, you know, old writings, old speeches, things like that. I have that natural affinity for it. Plus, I think it's important when I'm talking about this stuff. That's not the case with everybody. And I think, again, I'll use Ole and Gene Anderson as, as an example, but we were close with the Assassins and the Sharps and, and other people that, that, you know, barely made it in skin of their teeth and got in. And it's like, again, it shouldn't be this difficult. And maybe it shouldn't be left up to everybody, you know, to have a vote on this. It should only be a small group because if you put them on the ballot and there's no brainers like Rock and Perez and they didn't make it in, Frankly, they should not be on the ballot this year. You should have done what you've done with other people and just go, here, they should be in. Or left it up to 15 historians to go, okay, guys, here, do we do we have a different result? Is there a different percentage difference between how the committee voted as opposed to the general class? And if there is a dramatic difference, well, we know it's nothing against the general class of voters, but they miss why X or Y person was key to the business and belonged in. And one thing that I wanted to to bring up, especially before we, you know, while we're doing this, because I think it's so important because we're talking about this backlog and everything, this log jam. Um, it's important for people that maybe aren't as familiar with the ballot and the voting and the way it works that might be listening to this, that there's been a pretty big change in the way the voting is being done and tabulated this year. And correct me if I'm wrong, I'm trying to describe this as best I can. It's like the major way this is changing is it used to be there's always been categories, historical, modern, Mexico, Japan, etc. But before it was sort of like you had a maximum amount of votes of people you could vote for across all the categories, except for non-wrestler that was separate total. And now the maximums are broken down by category. So like you can vote for a maximum of X amount from historical, a maximum of X amount from modern, X amount from Mexico, rather than just saying, hey, you can only pick eight people out of all the categories together or whatever it was. And I feel like, I mean, hopefully I'm doing justice to that, but I feel like that will help, especially with the historical category that we'll see more people from that category going in because there's more opportunities to vote for them. Absolutely. And I think it will. It's a bigger field and you get eight choices now in that category. In the modern performers, it's a little bit smaller. You get five. In Japan, you get three. In Mexico, it's three. In the Europe, Australia, New Zealand, Pacific Islands, Africa category, it's four. And in non-wrestlers, it is six. Um, I think it should. In a case like Japan, you don't need to have X amount. I mean, for the most part, as we stand here right now, almost everybody that should be in from the Japanese side of the Hall of Fame that was a slam dunk or a no-brainer is in. We've seen that in the last couple of years. And again, these are names that if you didn't follow Japan, you would be scratching your head and questioning. But Okada, Tanahashi, Nakamura, Naito, Ibushi, you know, people like that, they've, they're now in. So you don't need to have, again, it, it to me, it, it will help balance things out a little bit where I believe we have some problems or obviously in the historical category. Well, now we have some people that have been pulled into different categories. 
the Steiners are in the modern performers and the Hart Foundation are in the historical portion. Again, there are some, you know, some questions over sometimes things like that, but I think overall it's going to help the process because it's, again, it's limiting people that if you only vote on Japan, well, okay, there's the three that you have, or if you only vote on Europe, you have your three that you can vote in and it keeps it again, separate for the others that are going to vote across the board, you know, in several different categories. Yeah. And uh, like I was saying, when you combine them all and just say, okay, pick, you know, a total of all of these, you could see how the historical people are going to get left in the dust in a lot of cases, because, you know, um, if you have to choose directly in that way without having the little kind of pigeonholes of all the different categories, well, the people from 50, 60, 70 years ago are going to lose out. They're just going to lose out yeah. uh, just because of, of time passing and the age of the voters and things. And it doesn't mean that they don't deserve to go in. So that's why I think it's great if they're helped along by having their own little silo. And I I love being able to I guess you can call me a big Hall of Fame person because I love being able to vote for as many as possible. But the reason I do that is because I really genuinely feel there's so many who have been unfairly left out from the past that it needs to be fixed. And I won't. And that's another reason. And I know this is a whole other topic, but I've said it. This is the reason why I never per, personal preference. I never vote for anybody who's currently active. And it's not because there's they don't deserve it. Like Roman Reigns absolutely one day should go in. Um, CM Punk absolutely one day should go in. But but while you have Wild Bull Curry not in, June Byers not in, um, you know, uh, I'm not going to vote for those people. I, I'm going to vote for the British Bulldogs not in. I'm going to vote for people. You know, it's almost like I'm thinking chronologically. You know yeah, what I mean? Like when, when when everybody who deserves to go in from before 1990 is in, then I could start thinking about people that are currently active. Yeah, I remember having a disagreement with Dave in in his forum, uh, and it may have been I forget ex the example we were going off of, but you know, say Okada gets added to a ballot, right, and he's in the modern category. Well, there are people that believe. Well, he's an overwhelming case, or Tanahashi, an even better example. He is an overwhelming case to go into the Hall of Fame. There is no question he belongs in the Hall of Fame. He goes on the ballot you know, you should vote for him. And that's the way Dave thinks. And I'm not against that. I am pro that in a lot of ways. But I also look at somebody, let's say a Les Thatcher, for example. I'll assume that he still has a vote for the Hall of Fame. I don't care who you put on there. If the Von Brauners haven't made it in, you know, he's still going to vote for the Von Brauners. Or, you know, and again, I'm just, let's just throw out names here. The Vashans or Sputnik Monroe or somebody like that. Just because somebody who everybody believes should be in it doesn't mean that they don't belong in it's just that i'm not going to take any of my votes away from anybody i've been voting for exactly that person in and this is where too unfortunately the debate process has turned into debate shows and it's just how we take information in and how a lot of people do it's you know anonymous fights on on social media or in forums or it's just people need to yell out their points. You don't have to put down 
another group, and this has always been my thing with the Young Bucks and the Briscoes, the Briscoes are the best tag team of the era. I'm not saying the Young Bucks don't belong in, but when you are presented that of like, well, who do you take? Well, I'll take the Briscoes. Then you get that fire from that side of, well, you don't like this and it's because of this. Whoa, time out. No, that's that's not how I'm looking at this. And I can't, that's why I stopped with a lot of the, listening to a lot of the talk, you know, about the Hall of Fame and a lot of that stuff. Because unless it's somebody that, again, I know is going to treat things fairly and I'm not going to have to see a bunch of junk after it, you know, with, with people just trolling and things like that. I take this too seriously. I like the business too much and I take it too seriously to have it degenerate into that. You don't have to slag somebody right. to make exactly. somebody else's case. Exactly. And that's what I mean when I say that the people I don't vote for who are, you know, currently wrestling or very recently stopped or whatever it's not because i don't think they belong in it's because i only get a certain number of votes mm-hmm. and there's people on there from the past who belong in and they're not in and that and that's all it comes down to like because it's like um you know when kenny omega went in i really think that was like an eye opener at least for me of being like Let's look, let's step outside the wrestling bubble and look at this from from a casual person's perspective or from the perspective of other kinds of halls of fames and things. Like, how can you justify that? This is a guy, especially when he got voted in, not because he's not great, but he's at the top of the business right now at that time. He's a world champion right now at the time that he went in. And you've got these people who who didn't go, who aren't in from generations past who probably even are more deserving than him uh, or even if they're not just the fact that they didn't go in when they should have gone in 30 years ago. It's very hard to justify. And I don't know, does that happen? Like, could you, and if I'm wrong, correct me, but like in something like boxing has, is is a current, is somebody who's a current world champion going to go into the hall of fame? Like, does that even happen? No, of course it doesn't happen. You know, the the closest you have is a Clemente type of situation where somebody passes away and that they waive the five years or however long your Hall of Fame is and they enter that person in because there was no question. That's that's it. Modern performers usually don't. I mean, they, they don't make it in. I, I just... So I and I completely understand that. And I understand Kenny Omega. That was another one, too. And that's where it was like, wait a second. Kenny Omega was voted in on the Japanese side of, of the ledger. Right. And you could argue Shingo Takagi could belong in before him. What you could definitely argue is and this is what people would fire back shots at me. It's like, wait a second. I don't disagree with Omega being in and voted in on the Japanese side. I could, you know, give you reasons uh, against it as well as for it. But to see his vote count in comparison to Kota Ibushi's where it's like, well, time out. And yes, Ibushi made it in the year after, but it's like, well, wait a second. You know, how much credit are you giving the New Japan stuff in the in the time that he was on top there? You know, and I, to me, it was disproportionate. If you're including what he did in DDT, well, he wouldn't have had that opportunity if Kota Ibushi would not have helped build DDT. It's the reason that uh, uh, Takagi, uh, Sanchiro Takagi is on the ballot this year because of what he did for DDT in the non-wrestler category. So it's like, you know, why? You know, and that... 
again, in a lot of what those people, again, they voted for what he did in America and with AEW and all that stuff. And that's also where it's like, well, hold on. What if something happens here? And again, there's always going to be the Benoit cases and things like that. I'm sure you could always vote to take somebody out, but it's like, well, wait, their legacy hasn't completely been defined yet on what they do in right. AEW. So again, I it's one of those things where unless you're Mark and Jay Briscoe, we know they're never going to team again. We know Paul Orndorff isn't coming back, you know? So, like, to me, those are category. you know, those are people you can vote for in that category, whereas, you know, the Young Bucks, Seth Rollins, Randy Orton even, Roman Reigns, Becky Lynch, I, I can't disagree with anybody that says, whoa, timeout, they're still going right now. I'll, you know, we'll get to it later. And again, there are people that feel strongly, if you belong in, Five years from now, you belong in today. And I can't argue that either. It's just, a, again, it's a it's a philosophical difference in how voters vote. Yeah. And like I said, I, I look at it uh, by, I triage it like chronologically. Like, like everybody that deserves to go in from a certain time period that's earlier should go in before the people of a later time period. Yeah. That's just kind of the way I look at it. But you know, another thing I think would help with this, and I think he's even talked about this, is the changing of the um, the the minimum amount of time. So, like, for example, I think, what is it, 15 years, right? You have to be active for at least 15 years to go in. I think I think it should be longer than that. I think it should be more like 25 years since your first match. And I think that will help a lot because... The pro wrestling is so different. And I, I think we might have talked about this last time you were on. So I apologize to re listeners if I'm repeating myself. But I feel like your wrestling is not baseball. So in baseball, for example, if it's 15 years from when you played your first game, um, yeah, you're probably not at the peak of your game anymore. Like you're 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 either out of the out of the sport or your best years are behind you because your best years are your youngest years mostly. Whereas in wrestling with guys that are in their 15 years, they could be in their 15 years before they get their big break. Well, remember you know, that back, you know, your money making years were, you know, in right. late 30s into your 40s. Right. Look, 30s is like your prime years in wrestling. And, and so like some guys are just getting warmed up. It's not like in a competitive sport where youth is really what's going to get you, you know, because you're young and 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 strong and you're you have your health and you know you're really out there competing. So of course you can confidently say yes, 15 years from when you first started makes sense. But in wrestling, it's just not like that. You know, you get guys that are just getting, like I said, just getting warmed up. So I don't think you can judge it the same way. It's just, too many moving parts too in pro wrestling, as opposed to something more rigid with rules and stats and things yes. like that as well too. And sure, you know, did the, you know, debate over Mike Messina would be, well, you didn't have 20 wins. Well, I would watch games get blown for him. Nothing that he did with bad relief pitching because the Orioles didn't have the right people in the right spots or bad defense because of X, Y, and Z. And you can look at that and go, you know what? You know, yeah, I could see, you know, he should be a Hall of Famer, you know? And, and those other things, you know, that do matter. There's some of that stuff, you know, that goes on around you matters. And in a case like wrestling, again, what's the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. So say a Roman Reigns, for an example, like how do we judge him? 
we know he sells a lot of merchandise. We don't really know what merchandise he sells, but we we know the reactions that he gets. We know that he moves TV numbers and things like that. There are people that would say Roman Reigns absolutely is not a Hall of Famer, his work or this or that. But then you got to stop and you go, well, if Roman Reigns isn't a Hall of Famer, do we ever have any other Hall of Famers ever again? You know, CM Punk moved a lot of numbers coming back. And for a lot of people, I think helped his cause with how, look at how he came back in as opposed to an edge and how he meant something more. How When some people come back, he moved a lot more and that should help his case. But when football came around in college football season and the collision numbers went from 800,000 to 500,000, that's kind of bit. You could put anybody on that show, and they have. They put MJF on it. They put Edge on it. They put everybody. Well, it's only going to do 500000 because you're not Notre Dame in Michigan and some of the other things playing at that time, let alone if WWE's got a show. Does that mean that those people, that MJF isn't a talented performer and doing everything he can in the realm of what you know he, he's, he's set out to do? You know, Does that mean he's not a Hall of Famer because he doesn't draw the numbers that – X person did or doesn't sell the tickets of somebody else. You know, I don't know if you hold all that against the performer now, and you have to try to balance a lot of that stuff out. There you have it, folks. Part one of my conversation with Mike Sempervivi about this year's Wrestling Observer Newsletter Hall of Fame. And for those wondering, I had initially intended this to be just a single episode, but when you get Mike and myself together and we're talking about a subject like this, it's very hard to shut us up. So rather than drop a big two-hour episode, which is not really the format of this show, I decided to make it two. So next week, we will have part two, the conclusion of my Observer Hall of Fame talk with Mike, and that's going to be episode number 96. And then, of course, as I said, beyond that, if you keep listening to this show, episode 97 will be Dave LaGreca. I've also got on the way Steve Dworkin, who was a longtime wrestling fan going back to the 1950s, who later came to work as an engineer for USA Network and had some dealings with WWE over the years. He's got an interesting story. He will share it in the weeks to come. Also on the way will be a cherished trusted, beloved member of the Arcadian Vanguard family, Jace Nakarado, a.k.a. Jay Sharknado. He will be coming to Shut Up and Wrestle as well. So keep listening. Where can you listen? Our website, suawpod.com. You can also find Shut Up and Wrestle wherever you get your podcasts. And that means Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcast Addict, or Podbean, wherever you usually go. Join the Facebook group as well, Shut Up and Wrestle with Brian R. Solomon. Lots of great additional content there. If you would like to support Shut Up and Wrestle, support the show with some of your hard-earned dollars and cents, you can go to my Twitter profile, Brian R. Solomon. You will see a link at the top to contribute via Cash App or Venmo. If you wish to contribute via PayPal, my PayPal is Solomon at yahoo.com. Some of the other projects that I work on, of course, the wrestling news from Arcadian Vanguard. I cannot mention it enough. Please do check it out. I am the news editor. Of course, Mike Sempervivi is the producer and the voice of the wrestling news. Find it at thewrestlingnews.com or on the Arcadian Vanguard YouTube page. 
my books, Blood and Fire, the unbelievable real-life story of wrestling's original chic, and Superheroes, the history of a pop culture phenomenon from Ant-Man to Zorro. You can find those wherever you buy your books. And if you want an autographed copy, I do have some of those as well. Reach out to me at Brian R. Solomon at yahoo.com if you happen to be interested. The magazines that I write for, I mentioned PWI at the top of the show. I'll mention it again. You can pick it up at pwi-online.com. Inside the Ropes Magazine, you can get it insidetheropesmagazine.com. If you're looking for me on social media, as I've mentioned, I can be found on Twitter and Instagram at Brian R. Solomon. You can also find me on Facebook. My author page is Brian Solomon Writer. And on any of those social media platforms, you will find the link to my author website. Shut Up and Wrestle is a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. And as always, this has been Brian R. Solomon asking you to keep those cards and letters coming in and saying you may not be an angel because angels are so few. But until the day that one comes along, I'll string along with you. So long, wrestling fans. Your face.